0: listeners, it's Jinners from the Mixtape Memories podcast here to tell you about something positive. Sex positive, in fact. If you're like me, by now you've probably got a lot of time on your hands and are desperately seeking some form of pleasure or a stimulus. Well, I've got this awesome offer for you from our lovely sponsor, AdamandEve.com. Right now, you can select almost any one item for 50% off at adamandeve.com. But, wait, on top of all that, you will also get some awesome free stuff to spice up your bedroom. Enter the code MIXTAPE, that's M-I-X-T-A-P-E, MIXTAPE at checkout and get 10 free gifts. A few special sexy items, plus six spicy movies, and you got a whole evening ahead And also, free shipping. Can't forget that. Get yourself a gift or surprise your partner or partners as it may be with a gift. And uh, don't forget to put together a special mixtape playlist to set the right mood. gaze, perhaps? The offer code again is mixtape, M-I-X-T-A-P-E, mixtape, at adamandeve.com.
1: Hello, and welcome to Mixtape Memories. This is Jinners.
2: And I'm Matt Hart-Spade. We're here today with a very special guest, the winner of Season 5 of RuPaul's Drag Race. We're so excited to have drag and cabaret superstar, Jinx Monsoon. Jinx, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, considering. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how you're handling everything right now. Um, well,
3: I mean, every day is different. Mm-hmm. I, I I find that, like... um you know, I have my good days and I have my bad days and I have my productive days and I have my days where I just stay in bed, um, playing video games. So I'm kind of just having a uh, forgiveness for myself, uh, for not being productive every single day and every single hour throughout all of this. Um, because I also think, you know, just taking time to, uh, self-medicate with video games through this crisis is also kind of important
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah. very necessary to distract a little bit when you can
0: yeah and just try to you know I think it's okay if you do nothing you know sometimes it's just how a coping mechanism you know
2: yeah I was lucky enough to catch one of your shows this week your digital drag fest show Oh yeah! Um, it was the one that Michelle Visage was in the room for. Oh, what a troll she was!
1: <laughs>
2: I never saw that. someone make so many comments in the in the chat bubble.
3: <laughs> well, um, Michelle is actually a really, really good friend of mine. I mean, also just like a wonderful person in general. But what a lot of people don't know about Michelle and I is that even though our public personas are so very, very different. Our private personas are actually quite similar. Our birthday is only a couple days apart. We're both very, um, uh, very detail oriented Virgos. We're both control freaks. Um, we're both uh, worry warts and obsessed with like trying to be the best person we can possibly be. (laughs) Um, But we're also very obnoxious musical theater nerds and, um, very, uh, you know, self-glamorizing people. (laughs) But but all that aside, um, she was, um, she was being quite the troll in my chat, a chat room and, (laughs) just had to point out that I wasn't wearing nails, Um, (laughs) which I have a very good reason for. One, I'm doing all the cooking in my household right now. And two, in lots of my live shows, I have to play ukulele and I can't do that with my nails on. Right.
2: Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I got to say that was the first, I guess, quote unquote purchase or ticket sale I've made with this digital drag fest series. And um, I love how you opened with the cover the britney cover with was it your roommate uh yeah it was uh <laughs> it was incredible and then the story about the condom getting lost <laughs> yeah it was it was incredible
3: yeah well when we um when i was approached about doing these digital shows um i wanted to go with you know a show that doesn't need much more than just me and a microphone so mm-hmm. i went with my nice stand-up comedy show which is all about my misadventures in my um, adult romantic sexual life. Uh, (laughs) And um, now uh, my most recent show I did was just honestly, like me doing all um, the most popular songs from my discography. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I'm starting to, since it looks like we're gonna be doing this for a while and all of my live gigs have been postponed or moved or canceled, Um, I'm looking at months more of creating online content and I've got to start cooking up new ideas for shows because I could be doing this for a while.
0: (laughs) How has it been doing like this like digital live show, but like not in front of like a live audience?
3: I'll say, um, you know, it is not as difficult as I was worried about. It's not like things aren't as odd as I worried they might be performing in front of a computer instead of an audience. But I mean, as a live entertainer, and, you know, I've chosen um, live theater and cabaret as my preferred medium. You know, I love working in TV and movies, but it'll never replace my love of live entertainment. And... It is very challenging because um, the audience is usually what I lean on if I need anything in my show. You know, like if if a joke goes flat, then I can make a joke about the joke bombing and stay, you know, like stay connected and present with my audience. But not having that, you know, that that eye contact and that audio response, you know, not having the laughter to lean on and not having applause to give me moments to catch my breath. Mm -hmm. It's a a big challenge, but luckily, you know, we're all in this together. You know, there's no one out there who's like, oh, I need perfection from my online drag shows, or I'm going to read them for filth, because I think everyone's just saying like, hey, we had no idea this was going to be our reality now so let's Mm -hmm. all try to be as supportive and as loving and as patient and generous with each other as possible so I I think the silver lining from all of this is people are being a lot nicer to each other than they were just a couple months ago Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think that's that's good
0: yeah I mean like have you noticed that kind of shift in like the fan chatter that you get, comments and DMs and stuff like that. Like I mean, just been- people will
3: always be assholes on the internet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's never gonna, I mean, I'd love for it to change, but I don't see that changing. The power you feel when you're like anonymous or s- semi-anonymous, you know, the bravery so many people feel when they're behind their keyboard, um, saying things to people online that I can't even imagine they'd ever feel comfortable saying to a live human being in front of them, that's never going to change without drastic overhauls or just everyone getting sick of social media altogether. Mm -hmm. But um, I will say for the most part, you know, like I've seen a lot more positivity and a lot more like um, community building in social media than I've seen tearing down um the last couple the last couple of weeks
2: (laughs) well that's good um also you've joined the world of cameo fairly recently how has that been going
3: it's been going great um i had never wanted to do cameo before because when i'm on tour basically like you know the show takes up all of my thoughts And if I have a show that night at eight, like I start preparing for it at like noon. Um, So I was worried that if I tried to squeeze cameos into my tour schedule, they would take a back seat and that I either wouldn't get to them in time or I would be doing kind of half assed cameos. And I really didn't want to do that. I've seen some, you know, of course, people have posted their cameos from other drag race girls who have not put in the effort, uh-huh. we'll say, <laughs> kind of, um, shirked off the, the responsibility of taking on a cameo request. Um, for me, it's like, I wouldn't feel good about myself taking money from people unless I knew that I was giving them something I was proud to give them on my cameos. Uh-huh. Um, so even though they're just these two minute little messages that I send them, I, I try to put in the full effort. I try to um, meet the demands of their request, whatever they may be. I set up my Alexa and my, my computer and I have everything ready in case I need to sing any given song they request. Um, so I, you know, now that I'm doing it, it's like, I'm able to do it because I'm able to give it my full attention and I'm able to make sure that I'm giving people a cameo worthy of whatever money they spend on it. And it's been a lot of fun. I get some really weird requests. I mostly get requests for people's birthdays. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten a lot of requests for pep talks, which are probably the hardest thing because, Uh, When I'm in drag, it's really hard to be sincere sometimes. You know, my character is all about being brash and and kind of selfish and awful. And um, she's all my negative qualities rolled into one personality. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so when people ask me for a pep talk, it's kind of like they're asking Jinx Monsoon to let Jarek Hoffer do the talking, which is right. always a good book for me as an artist, but I've found my ways through it. And um, and I just feel like so supported by, by by my audience right now that like all of my gigs, you know, through the summer have been postponed, but everyone's just been flocking to my social media and have been so generous and so supportive that, you know, it feels like, very fortunate that we live in the age of technology that we do and that I was able to affect my audiences leading up to this, that they would then turn around and be supportive and loyal to me through all of this.
2: Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask, um, so you opened the the live show that I saw the other night, the digital live show, with that Britney cover, which um, made me think of your cover of Creep from the Inevitable album, which I think is... Probably the best arrangement that, that I've heard of that song. <laughs> I feel like it's such a highly covered song, but I love what you did with it. I've always loved your version of it. And I just wanted to know your general process when you are tackling a very well-known song, whether it be on record or at a live show. Um, and how how do you typically go about approaching that?
3: Um. I, I always, when we're, when we're covering a song, Major Scales and I, um, Major Scales is my music partner who I do all my shows with and who I've created all my albums with. Um, when we are tackling a cover, it's usually that the cover we choose is adding to the story that we're telling in some specific way. Um, I did a show recently, I wrote the show The Ginger Snapped, um, which mostly features music from, um, from our album of the same title, but we did some covers in that too, and I always try to think, like, what is this song doing for the story that I'm trying to tell, and what parts of this song do that most effectively, and then we we start from there. So like if we're taking a cover, but we're putting kind of a sad, um, lens, uh, pushing it through a sad lens, you know, we're going to change the arrangement to be more somber. We might change some of of the major chords to minor chords or vice versa. We've taken some really sad songs and put an upbeat spin on them. And, you know, um, it's always about what story we want to tell. Um, With Creep, it's just such an iconic song that I had to also, like, beyond just, like, what story do I want to tell, I had to also just think superficially and aesthetically, like, what's a way of doing this song that hasn't been done before? And Fast Paced and Upbeat came to mind, you know? Mm -hmm. Before ours, i had never heard a Fast Paced, Upbeat version of Creep. I guess... Richard Cheese does one. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard that name in quite some time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, you know, we we still wanted to like stay to the heart of what that song's about and why is Jinx singing this song. Um, And I think we really effectively communicated that in the music video, Mm -hmm. which is Jinx as a hired party clown for a kid's birthday. And so our take on the song was kind of like, "What the hell am I doing here?" You know, the song, <laughs> well, the song's written like, you know, "I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo," kind of self deprecating. The way we put the spin on the song is more like, "I'm a creep, I'm a weirdo. Why are why am I being degraded to this?" <laughs> <laughs> like like creeping weirdo is a good thing and you normal people making me do this are the ones who should be upset with yourselves
0: (laughs) I wanted to go back to like your earlier kind of years like what are some of your earliest like memories of music and falling in love with you know, songs and stuff
3: like that. Yeah. Um, I was a loner through most of, through my elementary school experience. Um, I had friends in my classes and stuff, but, you know, I didn't play sports. Um, I, I didn't really connect or relate to the other boys my age in elementary school. Um, but on the other side of that, you know, hanging out with all the girls was getting me a lot of negative attention and I didn't even, I I just didn't connect and relate to many of the kids in my elementary school. So I spent a lot of time alone and I filled that time mostly listening to classical music and reading Greek mythology. And I don't know why classical music was the music I chose to listen to, you know, My mom raised me with a lot of punk rock music and um, a lot of songs from the eighties, you know, all my mom's favorite music. And I liked a lot of that, but when it was my turn to pick the music, it was always classical music. And it could have just been me wanting to be contrary. You know, it could have just been me, my like protest against everyone else by picking the one style of music that no one else ever wants to listen to.
2: <laughs>
3: but I remember um I bought uh the Carmen Suite. Um it wasn't an operatic version. It was fully instrumental, but it was the Carmen Suite and um it was like the first cassette I ever bought for myself um out at a secondhand music store with my aunt and I listened to that cassette on a loop. Um, and then by middle school, the music I was choosing was equally as eclectic and um, niche, but it was more like um, swing music and mm-hmm. Bette Midler and uh, Billie Holiday and um, the B 52s were big for me in my teen years. Still music that no one else my age was listening to, um, but that was the music that really
2: spoke to me. <laughs> mm-hmm the classical threw me I wouldn't have expected that but that's pretty cool
3: yeah my two favorite songs were um habanera from carmen and um hungarian dance uh, i can't even remember who composed hungarian dance but it's the one we all know it's dum 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 da dum oh yes
0: <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> a classic
3: yeah, and my favorite song at seven years old. <laughs> I mean, also was talking to someone, like, in elementary school when someone asked me who my favorite actor was. I was nine years old, and I said, Christine Baranski.
2: <laughs> and what did they say? They were like, who the hell is that?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, no one else my age, boy or girl, knew who Christine Baranski was. All the guys were saying, like... Um, Jim Carrey or whoever, and Uh I I don't know what anyone else liked, but I knew my favorite actress was Christine Baranski at nine years
2: (laughs) old. Going back to that time, um, you know, you're a couple years younger than us, and I was wondering if you were a collector or receiver of mixtapes, or was it more mixed CDs for you uh, back in the day?
3: Yeah, it was more mixed CDs. I know I made a couple mixtapes for myself. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was all about the CDs my age. Um, When I was really into music and when I actually had friends to make um, mixed CDs for, it was all CDs. But um, I did have a couple mixtapes that were um, me holding up my. my boombox to the TV and recording my favorite music out of video games.
0: Oh my god.
2: <laughs>
3: Those. Um, yeah, the mix CDs were big. It was me and my best friend Maddie were constantly making mix CDs for each other. And the music would jump around from like Beck to No Doubt. And then all of a sudden it would be something from um Invader Zim or <laughs> other Nickelodeon cartoon that we
0: watched ironically, you know? <laughs> Amazing. Um do you do you remember like discovering music that way? Like or um was it more just like sharing music like with your friend that you guys already know but like just kind of sharing resources?
3: No, I I discovered a lot of music through mixed CDs. Um, It was also, you know, the perfect gift for whoever you were dating um, when I was a teenager. So, um, yeah, lots of new music came my way from my friends making me CDs of music they thought I should get into. um, Or boyfriends making me music that uh, um, mixed CDs with music that they needed me to get into for our relationship to thrive you know did it work (laughs) no i've been i think music is what i've been most stubborn about in my life you know i um i'm one of those people and i know I, i pretty much i think you hit an age i don't know how to pinpoint the age but i think most people hit an age where they're done learning new music (laughs) like (laughs) um because like my mom still listens to the same music she listened to 20 years ago when i was a kid Mm -hmm. and i find myself being fully content with just listening to the same stuff over and over and over um but i do have to say spotify has really changed the game for me Because now I'll build a playlist of my favorite music for a particular mood I'm in. And then when the playlist is done, Spotify starts suggesting songs that are similar to the music already on that playlist. So I've found some new music by artists I've never heard of before, thanks to Spotify. And that's really kind of opened me up to accepting new music in my life again.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's great. yeah, I've had that happen to me or like if I'm making like a playlist on Spotify, um, always at the end, it will be like, maybe you're interested in these songs, too. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll I find some more stuff. Yeah,
3: there are definitely some times, though, when Spotify will suggest something to me and I and I get angry and say, it's like you don't know me at all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, I mean, we were saying um, before Matt and I were saying before that um, like Spotify playlists, though, they don't have like the same kind of romance and cachet that like a mix CD or mixtape had. Yeah. Kind of and we don't know what like the modern equivalent is.
3: Yeah, I think it, a big part of it is not having something physical to hold yeah. and to hand someone. And then I also remember like the way that I decorated the CD was very important, you know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, the decision around whether to put the playlist on the CD or make a little, <laughs> a jacket that had the playlist on it, you know? Um, totally. Yeah. It was, it, it took a little more effort when you had something physical to give someone, but um and then my my boyfriend and i um currently we have a playlist that has like 400 it's something ridiculous 400 might uh, might be a stretch but <laughs> it's like 400 songs that we have been putting onto this playlist for the uh, our the year long relationship we've had it's our anniversary today <laughs> oh, happy oh,
0: anniversary happy anniversary <laughs> so we,
3: Um, we started this playlist like right when we started dating and it's got so many songs on it but what we find is that we will sit there individually listening to the playlist and skipping over each other's music (laughs) 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 we put on the playlist
2: which really
3: defeats the purpose
2: yeah exactly
3: i think when (laughs) the music used to not be right at your fingertips you know you couldn't just pick up your phone and say the title of the song you wanted to listen to you used to have to have a ritual around listening to music you know you used to have to you know have a device to listen to it on pick out the cd set up everything make sure nothing um taps your cd player so that the song I'll <laughs> <Yeah>. skip yes <laughs>
2: I think also for me back in the day, just waiting for your song to come on the radio and actually calling an act, like an a real radio station and begging them to play Alanis Morissette, you know? And then yeah. finally two hours later it comes on and you try to record it boombox to boombox, you know?
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel like kids these days don't understand the struggle of that that musical moment.
3: <laughs> yeah. I think rituals are very important. And when you take rituals out of something you know like when you take rituals out of food or you take rituals out of music or like the way you bathe um that's when we start losing passion and we start losing like what makes things wonderful you know is Mm -hmm. when we take rituals away um so with music specifically this is why we're seeing like this um influx of people wanting to use vinyls and vinyl players again Uh because it's forcing a ritual back into music you know that you don't get from spotify or youtube or streaming um and my my best friend and i were just talking the other day like we need to get a vinyl player and we need to start getting our favorite albums on vinyl so that we can like make listening to music like uh an event again
0: (laughs) yeah I love listening to music on vinyl I think it has like a a certain sound warmth you know to to it and it is kind of nice to just gather and like sit around a record player and like listen
3: yeah I mean I've been thinking a lot recently about how Now it's like I put music on while I'm doing other things and I love that. And it keeps me on task, like while I'm doing chores or while I'm doing my makeup. um, But it used to be that I would just lay in bed listening to a CD, you know, and not doing anything else. And nowadays I only find myself listening to music if I'm in the middle of doing something else and I'm not really giving the music my full attention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And
0: yeah, I miss... Reading like liner notes and stuff like that. I don't know. Like we don't really have that anymore. Um, if you don't have the CD or if you don't have the vinyl, there's just nothing tangible to kind of take take like that journey into the album like one step further. You know, I feel yeah. like it builds like some sort of attachment when you have stuff like that, um, yeah. and we don't really have that with like a Spotify. Um, Just seems colder. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Jinx, I was wondering how else you discovered new music outside of mixed CDs and whatnot uh, in the 90s and in the early mid 2000s. Was it radio? Was it MTV? Was it magazines? Was it word of mouth?
3: Um, Yeah, it was mostly word of mouth and, um, you know, friends sharing things with me that they knew I'd like. I remember um, the Dresden Dolls when they came into my life. um, So the Dresden Dolls and Amanda Palmer have been one of the biggest, if not the biggest musical inspiration in my life. Um, And Amanda Palmer is probably my favorite singer, songwriter, musician of all time. Um, I remember it all just started with my friend sharing me... um, their music video for girl anachronism. And, uh, I was at my grandpa's ranch in the center, Washington, where I spent my summers. So I hadn't seen my friends in weeks. And my best friend, Maddie sent me this music video. And then I was just immediately hooked and obsessed with their music. Um, but one thing that was really, um, specific to me, um, uh, in terms of finding new music is the fact that I've been a drag queen since I was 15 mm-hmm. and music for drag Queens is extremely important. You know, it's as important as the makeup you buy and the shoes that you wear and the way you style your wig, you know, music is, Especially when you're lip syncing or you're working in the clubs, um, which is how I started before I got into cabaret, I was always just performing in drag bars and dance clubs and stuff. And the music you choose to perform to is everything. You know, it kind of trumps your outfit and your hair and stuff because <laughs> it, without a good song and without a song that matches your personality and without a song that you can perform well there's no point in being up on stage. <laughs> um, so I learned a lot of new music and I discovered a lot of new music from watching other drag performers perform.
0: Do you remember like the first song you ever uh, performed to as a drag queen?
3: Ah, uh, what was it? I remember things around that time. Yeah, <laughs> that works yeah. too. Uh, yeah, I I know one of my first numbers was coin operated boy by uh, oh, That's a great
2: single. Yeah. And yeah. it was
3: me and my friend Etienne um who was a male presenting drag performer um and we would dress up essentially like Amanda Palmer and and Brian from The Dresden Dolls. Um, We did the white face, my makeup, and we wore black and white outfits, and we would act out the song um, with him being the coin-operated boy, and then that kind of spurred out into us doing a whole act as wind-up dolls, Um, and we would trade off back and forth different shows, like sometimes he'd be the wind-up doll and I'd be the operator, or it would be the other way around, or we'd both be wind-up dolls, but that was our gimmick for like a whole year, (laughs) where we... (laughs) My first iteration of my drag persona was just a white-faced wind-up doll. I love
0: it. So even back in the beginning, you were kind of setting yourself apart because I would say that that's not like a a normal choice for a song. (laughs) Yeah, I just...
3: um, The reason why I got into drag is because I wanted to perform more. So I started at this all-ages nightclub that used to exist in Portland, Oregon, where I was born and raised. And basically, when I saw my first drag show there, I was like, oh, like, I'm already in ballet, I'm already, you know, doing music lessons, I'm already doing the after-school plays at my school's. And now I found another place to perform, and it was just another chance for me to get on stage and and perform for people, and it quickly became the thing I, the performance I was most passionate about because I was in complete control. I got to design the numbers, I got to pick out the costume and do the makeup, and it was like putting on a production that I had complete control over, even though it was only four minutes long. To me, every drag number was like a three act play, you know? (laughs) And um, so I knew that I just wanted to do the, the things that made me feel most inspired and the things that like, I didn't get to do in all my other realms of performance because of being a boy or because of my age or whatever, you know, like, Being a boy in high school, I never got to play the roles I wanted to in the musicals we would do. So then I would turn around and create a drag look based on The Witch from Into the Woods or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever play we were doing at my high school at the time. I would play all the roles I really wanted to play at my drag club on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Got
0: it. Yeah. Um. I I remember like the first time I love that you have this connection to Amanda Palmer because I remember the first time I ever saw Dresden Dolls I was just like what is this it's so strange I love it (laughs) and you know that song Coin Operated Boy really just like hit me and like connected with that so I feel like it's like really cool and ever since like I've seen you like performing I feel like you've always had that, um, like, little bit of an edge as far as, like, what song you choose, how you present it. And I love that, like, you control, like, every little bit. Having worked with you before, like, with Ginger Snaps, like, I just love how you just know what happens at every moment and how everything is supposed to look. And I think, like, that's, I have so much respect for you because of all that. And I can see where it came from because you were doing that from the beginning. It seems like.
3: Yeah. Well, Amanda Palmer with the Dresden dolls, you know what I loved about it. And they called themselves like um, punk cabaret music. And that's like the best way to explain it because, you know, it was just a piano, a drummer Mm -hmm. and a singer. But there was so much theater, there was so much storytelling in each song, and then the fact that they did this um, white-faced makeup, and they brought elements of, like, the Weimar Republic um, <laughs> from Weimar Germany into um, yeah. the performance style, and making the whole thing, like, this, like, Brechtian cabaret piece. Um that just really spoke to me because they were musicians playing music, but they were finding a way to infuse characters and theater into it. And every story, I mean, every song had a story and a beginning and a middle and an end. And that just really spoke to me as a drag performer. And I have really tried to like keep that as what I do as a live performer is make sure that like, I'm not ever just singing a song, but that I'm continuing to tell the story I'm telling or, um, you know, convey a, convey a thought through the song.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, your original music also is very, like, you just have a way of performing it in a, such an emotional way and, like, able to be, like, poignant and then funny. And I just, I think, like, that kind of talent where you can just turn it on, like, when you need to, um, like you were saying about live shows, like, is also, like, a great skill to have and not something that everybody has. Well, I think it
3: comes from just knowing what I've wanted to do my whole life, (laughs) you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel, I I used to be kind of self-deprecating, and I used to think that the way to be, A well liked artist was to be really like, you know, almost too humble, you know, like someone gives you a compliment and then you immediately like talk about what was bad about the performance because it's better to be seen as humble than to be seen as, you know, self absorbed. And I think what it is now, like, now I'm just like really proud of the work that I do because I know how hard I work on it and I'm able to take compliments more because. I really like this is the one thing I do you know? yeah. <laughs> I'm not great at simple math, I'm a decent, coach, but I'm not out there trying to do like eighteen different things i I know what I can contribute to this world as a performer, and that's what I put my energy into, so I've gotten to the point where like if someone says that was an amazing show. You've got a real talent for this. I'm like, thank you. I'm really glad you see it that way because I've devoted my whole life to this, and it would really suck now to find out (laughs) that I suck. You know.
2: (laughs) Jenks, do you remember any um, concerts you went to during your formative years that kind of uh, perhaps uh, served as an inspiration for how you go about a a live uh, your own live show?
3: Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to many concerts in my um uh, in my life mainly because once I found drag it took up all of my time yeah. and um <laughs> it was like the only thing I did with any of my free time in high school and now it's my career and when you're when your art form is your career and when you are the star of your own <laughs> shows it's easy to just get lost in it um yeah But I can think of three experiences. Um, Of course, I saw the Dresden Dolls in high school and that just blew my mind. I also performed in the opening act, the opening little um, like sideshow they had. So I got to see Amanda Palmer and and Brian. I always forget Brian's last name, but um, I got to meet them that night and it just blew my whole freaking world apart. Um, But way before that, I had seen Placebo, Mm. Um, with a friend and i wasn't even familiar with placebo's music but um i remember you know this gorgeous androgynous um very like sexually ambiguous frontman in placebo just like really speaking to me as a performer but the best live concert i've ever seen to this day is bet midler um the tour was her kiss my brass tour it was in a giant stadium, thousands and thousands of people there to see her. And she was just so on and so electric the entire evening. Um, the show was like three different shows in one because the first show was her kind of like body bathhouse material. That was like the first half. The second half was her doing stand up comedy for like, a good portion of it and then the final part was all of her ballads you know all of the songs from movies and all of her love ballads that are what made her big with her older audience
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: like it was this whole tour of why Bette Midler is famous it's like this is why I'm famous I'm funny I can dance I can tell jokes I can sing funny songs I can sing heart. Warming songs, I can play characters, and I do it all in like sequins, outfits, and high heels. You know, and Bette Midler uh, live on stage is a drag queen. Like, there's no other. Oh, way
2: exactly. Anyway. I saw her a couple years ago at Barclay Center here in Brooklyn, and the show format was very similar to what you described. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can't you could not love it. I mean, I didn't go in as the the hugest Bette Midler fan, but you can't not. You have to smile when you see her. I mean, it's a great show. And like you said, she is essentially a drag queen. Yeah, yeah. and
0: she's, she's iconic for sure. Yeah. <laughs> she just reminds me of like, you
3: know, the fact that like stars and celebrities back in the day, like in the golden era of Hollywood, they had to do everything. Like pe- people remember Marilyn Monroe as a sex symbol and having a breathy voice and blonde hair. But she sang, she danced, she was like trained in all of what it took to be a celebrity at that time. And I always think about like Marilyn Monroe may have been a sex symbol, but she also was a triple threat and she had real talent and she played serious roles as well as the bombshell roles. And, you know, nowadays our celebrities are people who just post pictures of themselves on Instagram and that's seemingly enough.
2: (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's be honest, for some queens they think that's enough. They don't really have much <laughs> beyond that, you know? <laughs> no shade,
0: but well,
3: I've always said it's not up to me to decide what the audience wants to watch, and it's okay. not up to me to decide what the fans are into. But for what I'm into, I prefer my celebrities to have some sort of marketable talent. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: If you could duet with anybody, who would it be who would be your dream duet? Um, I would say Amanda Palmer.
3: We we did a song together on my album, but we had to do it remotely, so we didn't get to be in the studio together, which um would have been a lot of fun. But I kind of had my my dreams met on my last album when I I did duets with Lady Rizzo and mm-hmm. Amanda Palmer. Yeah. Um, I guess I could say Bette Midler, doing a duet with Bette Midler would be amazing. Maybe something from Gypsy, where we were playing mother and daughter. That would be a dream come true. <laughs>
2: um,
3: just to mix things up, since I haven't brought her up yet, um, I'll say uh, Regina Spector. Regina Spector mm-hmm. has also been very influential on me as an artist and just as a person who likes to listen to music, so um, I bet we could come up with something pretty cute.
0: (laughs) Good choices. (laughs) Um, you went to school in Seattle. What was that like in that whole scene? Cause you know, it's mostly known for grunge, you know?
3: Yeah. I, um, went to school at Cornish College of the Arts, um, in downtown Seattle and it was a brand new building. So Cornish, is like a school that's been around in some form for a long time, I think since the twenties. But the, the old campus um, was just used for music and dance. And then they built a new campus that was for the um, visual arts and the theater department. So, you know, we, I didn't experience much grunge when I was in Seattle. It was very much like, at the beginning of the wave of gentrification.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. And yeah,
3: I don't know how far along we were when I came into Seattle. I don't know how far along they were with gentrification, but I do know that I've, I lived there long enough to watch the best parts of Seattle be replaced by hollow um, corporate imitations of the things they were replacing. Mm.
0: Right. Should we move on to talk about the albums? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. I thought maybe we could start with Madonna, uh, okay. "Ray of Light." <laughs> I, I, it was pretty trippy just going back and listening to this album um, today. I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but some of the songs were, um, and then I actually like. Uh, even watch some like old music videos because like she she always had so many music videos and um it really struck me um uh like the video for um uh ray of light <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just like all these scenes like being outside <laughs> <laughs> stuff and in large crowds of people (laughs) so I was just like oh that's so funny that we're like um talking about this record today um (laughs) but um did you have a favorite song from this album I think
3: my favorite song at the time I was listening to it was um Probably "Ray of Light," "Ray of Light," or "Candy Perfume Girl." Um, mm-hmm. "Ray of Light" was my favorite song to listen to and sing along to. "Candy Perfume Girl" was my favorite one to um, uh, perform as a drag performer. <laughs> oh,
0: cool.
3: But I remember I, I was never, and I'm still not really into '80s Madonna. Like I have this aversion to 80s music and I know how upsetting that is for so many people in my in my demographic and so many
2: people in my world
3: but I really hate 80s music probably it's the one era of fashion and the one era of music that I just can't stand I don't like keytars I don't like smooth yes saxophones in the middle of a rock I don't
0: Like
3: the synth sound that they used so much in the 80s I mean there is music from the 80s that I like, but if you ask me if I like 80s music, I'll tell you no. But um so I remember like everyone in my family being like you're listening to Madonna and you're not even listening to the good music because I was obsessed with Ray of Light. Um but to me I thought that was Madonna at her finest mm-hmm. and I and I also really loved that some of it feels very experimental, you know, like I don't know what, I I don't know what gave her the idea to do the song Shanti. uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I can do prayer the whole time. Um, But it's one of my favorite songs on the album.
0: (laughs) You know, uh, she was, I was reading a little bit about the history of this album and um, she actually recorded it after she had Lorda's. Know, like, is, yeah. <laughs> and um, and she was studying like she' was all into Hinduism and Buddhism, so I think that's where all the the prayers and like the kind of like Asian or Eastern kind of influences and yeah. in some of the songs are, but it was really kind of her first like electronic and dance record, and
3: yeah. Is this like an album that caused one of her first comebacks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I feel like in the 90s, she had various different directions and moments. I think the album before this one is actually my favorite Madonna album, Bedtime Stories from 94. Um, yeah. Which was, I mean, it had moments where it was more upbeat, but I feel like on a on whole, it was a little more subdued kind of R&B influence. Yeah, and this one definitely... With working with William Orbit, it definitely took on more of, like, an electronica dance feel. And I want to say, going back to the video, Jin, I, I'm almost positive that Ray of Light won video of the year at the uh, at the MTV VMAs back in 98.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, she she looked good in that. I mean, it was funny watching all these videos because, actually, most of the time she has black hair or dark hair in them, but that's, in Ray of Light, she's blonde, and on the album cover, she's blonde. Yeah, yeah. And, um And so, it's, you know, it just shows you, like, even within one album, she's constantly changing her look and, like, what, you know, how she's kind of expressing herself, which is, she's always been, like, you know, reinventing herself over the years, which is, like, just something I respect about her. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just in know.
2: the nineties alone, she did, you know, it was a League of Their Own and then she had the sex book and the Erotica album and then everything we've just discussed. So it was, you know, she's always been prolific and changing things around pretty pretty regularly.
3: Yeah, I think some people criticize the fact that like she's reinvented herself so many times and there's been you know, we've we've seen in Super Bowl performances and vma performances her like kind of latching on to whoever's hot at the time Mm -hmm. um and i can you know you can look at it both ways like you can look at it like she's you know been doing whatever she can to just stay in the public attention or you can look at the fact that she's an artist who's let her art adapt and um evolve over the years and you know like there are so many people who close their mind off to changing and evolving and adapting. Um, And that's why they become relics. Whereas Madonna has just really embraced the idea of like, you know, I'm going to go where the audience takes me and I'm going to go where the art form takes me rather than trying to force everyone to follow me down something that no one's interested anymore. Mm
2: -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me like with with this album in particular and for most of the 90s I feel like she was ahead of the curve. Um I feel like unfortunately these days she's kind of chasing what is popular. So like for example, I wouldn't be surprised if her next record has like The Weeknd on it. You know what I mean? I feel like back in the day like she was one of the first people to prominently feature this producer William Orbit who went on to have a really great career producing all these amazing electronic albums. So, I don't know, I just feel like something has shifted a little bit and it's, it's a little sad for me.
3: Well, I think, I mean, you have to acknowledge the fact that she's been so famous for so long. I don't know that we can expect her to do anything like a normal person anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's true. <laughs>
0: um,
3: yeah. I just can't even imagine it, just having the, you know, the little taste of what it's like to be a celebrity and, I always say, you know, I'm a I'm an eclectic niche celebrity playing to a niche demographic. So, um, if people want to know what it's like to be a drag race contestant or winner, I'll tell you it's like being the biggest celebrity in a really small community, and then being treated like a normal person by the rest of the world.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: um,
3: So for Madonna to be so world famous for so long and to be, you know, of a very small group of people in her category, I, you know, I can't imagine what it's like for her to just try to do anything. You know, she's probably surrounded by so many people who keep her in a protected little bubble that maybe there aren't enough people telling her that ain't it chief you know <laughs> like, exactly. telling her, no this isn't really as cool as you think it is or this is over like you you missed it you should just wait for the next one you know
2: <laughs> exactly also i don't know how willing she is to to hear that if someone were to question her are they going to be off the team i don't know. You know yeah um jen what was your favorite moment from the
0: record uh i chose nothing really matters um I just think it's like the most um, cohesive song on there, like as a package. And I was watching the video for that too, and it was actually pretty chilly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, but like it was like um, she had like weird Japanese zombie like people, like you kind know, of. I remember
2: it. Yeah, it wasn't switching really like Switching
0: around.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's in a kimono, maybe
0: yeah she's in a kimono she's got the black hair and (laughs) uh, this time (laughs) (laughs) yeah like in in, in the context of what's going on today it was like super creepy (laughs) um but you know i had a really good message it's like nothing really matters love is all we need um so i don't know for me i really that song still stood the test of time for me
2: yeah that's my favorite as well um although i have to admit when the first single was released from this record frozen and the and the accompanying video like i was geeking out like so excited for this release to come out Uh, i remember the radio station here in new york uh the pop radio station which is still around z100 they were giving away um the cd every hour if you were like you know, the hundredth caller or something. I remember I called the radio station so many times to get a, an advanced copy of a CD in 1998 and I never got it, but, uh, but um, yeah, I, I, yeah. Frozen, I think is a, is a great single of hers for
0: me. What was your skip?
3: Um, I think I never once listened to sky fits heaven or little star all the yeah. way through, I would skip those. Little star, I don't know. Nothing about that song worked for me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the, the sentiment is kind of sweet. No.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just to uh, give you a little context on that song. You know, so this was after she had a baby, and I think that that was really meant as a lullaby yeah i
3: i got that too like i got that it was definitely written to her kid and i got that she was like making it a sentimental lullaby to her daughter but then the sound of the song is Um, i don't know and i also found one thing that is a pet peeve of mine in um music is really obvious rhymes. Yeah, Um, And I can't remember the real lyrics, but it was like, I know it starts out with never forget who you are, little star, never forget who to be, honey bee, or something like
2: that. (laughs) And I think that's the exact lyric. It's pretty bad. Let's
3: do this sentence I want to say, and then let's find the first word that rhymes with that sentence. And that's this song. Yeah. Yeah. uh, uh Little Star. That sounds good. <laughs>
0: you mean like Twinkle Twinkle? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I would skip um I picked skin. I just thought that song was kind of creepy. And uh I don't know. There are a couple
3: creepy songs, like Murr Girl is one of my favorite songs, but the first time I listened to it I was like, This is creepy, you know
0: like.
2: <laughs> Yeah.
0: Um what was yours, Matt?
2: My skip, sorry, Jinx, it was Candy Perfume Girl. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't get into that one like back then, and I couldn't get back into it today when I revisited it. I don't know what it is. But I could see how it would work well as a drag performance.
3: Yeah, it worked really well as a drag performance. We um, That was the first number in a show we put together called Sex and Candy um, at the nightclub I used to work
0: at. Nice. Um,
3: yeah i uh i also love though that candy perfume girl sounds like a sexy club dance song and then also has the um asian influences in it like she's just going candy <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my oh my God. are we ready to talk about no doubt
2: yes Tragic yeah. Kingdom, circa nineteen ninety five.
0: It's like another chick singer who uh, ha- always like blends influences. I feel like, um, yeah. And uh, this album had a lot of memories for me. Um, what was your memory of No Doubt?
3: Um, what I love about No Doubt, and what I love. About ska music is, um, you know, uh, having listened to classical music so much growing up, I really, really prefer music with real instruments to mm-hmm. electronic music. Um, and what I love about ska is it's an emphasis on instruments in it. You know, it's they use the horns,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and um, so you're getting like a rock band plus elements of like kind of swing music and um, I don't know. There's just so many like musical inspirations that go into Ska. But for me, it's really the horns, like the horns throughout the album really make it like unique to me and also much more listenable to me (laughs) Yeah. than other music of its time.
0: Yeah, it's true. It adds like a dynamic, quality to it it's kind of like when you see hip hop and they have like a live band or something it just kind of makes it come alive for sure Um, what was like your favorite song from this album oh so many Um,
3: I think I'm going to say The Climb okay The Climb or Excuse Me Mister those two are both up there for me Um, because I really liked the melodies in those songs. I really liked the lyrics and excuse me, Mr. Um, she has this breakdown in the song, um, that sounds like a ragtime throwback all of a sudden it's like this ska song. And then it has this ragtime breakdown where it sounds like 1920s, like tap dance music. And I fucking love that. So. much. (laughs) Um, It really just spoke to me and all the things that I like. Um, and then the climb, I just really love the, the melody progression in that. And I think it's less about the lyrics and more about the, the actual like experience of the melody in that song.
0: Yeah. What was yours, Matt? Uh,
2: For me? Um, I, I mean, I own this album back in the day. Um, for me, it's really about the the first two or three songs. I feel like it's such a punch between Spiderwebs, Excuse Me, Mister, and Just a Girl, um, just having so much energy, and you kind of get a good sense of what No Doubt is about. And then I feel yeah. like, for me, the album is maybe two or three songs too long, and it's a little hit and miss. So, yeah, my my three are, are, are those, which, of course, were all singles as well, but uh, I'm going to be basic with this one. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm pretty basic on this. Um and I think that's just cuz like when I was listening to this album back then, um you know, I I grew up in a very like conservative uh like uh household and never got to do anything and I feel like I was always told <laughs> like that I couldn't do something cuz I was like a girl. <laughs> so I think like that song just a girl just like always like um you know, I always like connected with that song. So, you know, as cheesy as it may be, or as like cartoonish as it is now. um, Like, that's the one I just will always like hit a spot (laughs) for me. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, yeah, I I think I'm just basic on this one. I don't know, like, I think I I like all the hits. And then, you know, the rest of the album just kind of didn't connect with me as much for whatever reason.
2: You know, I saw No Doubt in Baltimore in like the early 2000s. They actually played this big basketball stadium. I went because I I'd never seen No Doubt before, but I was also and still am a big fan of Garbage and they were opening for No Doubt. Um, I got to say, No Doubt's live show was incredible. It was during like um, the Rocksteady album. That's what they were promoting. And actually, Jen, when they performed Just a Girl, like there was, I can't describe the energy in the room. Um, and they kind of dragged it out until like a nine or 10 minute version. It was amazing. And Gwen as a front woman uh, in a live setting is just, it's kind of magical, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, she seems like she has like a, like an energy around her, like a, just like a like a force of energy, yeah. <laughs> um, that's just like carried her throughout her career, you know. Yeah. yeah, I think you need that as a performer. I mean, I I definitely get that sense. Um, every any time I've ever seen you, Jinx. and like it, you know, I think in order to really kind of um come through, you know, and you know, amidst the masses of people who wanna be performers, you really have to have like just something special that like you can't you can't teach or like really yeah, buy. Especially
3: idiosyncrasy that um sets you apart from all the different people doing the same thing as you <laughs> Exactly.
0: You know? And and when you're around somebody who has that you feel it, you know. So it's very palpable, I think. Um yeah. Yeah, Tragic Kingdom, you know. Uh, I think this was, like, the first album where she wrote the lyrics, too. Because I think yeah, it was, I mean... like, her brother or something who wrote the lyrics before. Um, but yeah. then he left the band. Um, so... Yeah, I remember
3: the lyrics really, you know sticking out to me because it wasn't just the music I also just remember like this was so different from everything else that was popular at the time
2: mm-hmm.
3: yeah um, I remember like my aunt who's only 10 years older than me um and my cousin they were obsessed with R&B at this time mm. and because um, it was like late 90s early 2000s that I was really into this album And, um, I was just like constantly, and I love Missy Elliott, but it was like the only music that was being played around me was Missy Elliott and Boys to Men. And I really like all that music, but it was like, since it was constant, when I got the Tragic Kingdom album, it was the most different from everything else I was listening to with the rest of my family. And it just like Felt like breaking free from what everyone else was making me listen in, to in the biggest possible way.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, I know, like, uh, back then, uh, well, I guess, like, um, the title came from, like, um, one of the band members, like, teacher referred to Magic Kingdom as Tragic Kingdom. <laughs> so, yeah. And I feel like that kind of messaging to, like, you know, uh, you know, I call, always call myself like an emo teen, <laughs> depressed teen, yeah. like that kind of messaging. Just like always wins. <laughs> <for me. laughs> well,
3: and then I'm also thinking back on like part of why I didn't like rap and um, R&B as much as this is that so many of the artists were male, and I mean, I think we all remember like when rap and R&B was just all about being a player yeah. and all about like um how you could have a sex sex with as many women as possible and how women were just conquests and women were just like uh an object of showing off your wealth and your power mm-hmm. and you know as someone who has never identified male even though I was born male and as someone who's always feel felt much more empowered by my femininity and by feminine icons, it makes perfect sense to me that I was, like, done listening to men singing about women as if they were objects and really excited to listen to a woman sing about being a powerful woman, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that was important that time. You didn't have a lot of that, you know? And, um you know, it's always been male-dominated and, like, um, it's just nice to have, like, a different perspective out there that actually became popular. Yeah.
2: Yeah, this album was wildly popular. Like, I want to say the sales in the U.S. surpassed 10 million. Like, maybe it was even 13 or 14 million. Something crazy. Which, like, nobody gets those numbers these days unless you're Adele, I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Jane. Yay. Thank you so much. I hope you guys
3: are enjoying your quarantine and your lockdown as best you can. Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, You know, and, you know, just thanks for taking the time. And it was, like, nice to, like, hear some memories and talk about music that we love and, you know, keep, like, the good feelings going absolutely (laughs) thanks so much for joining us on mixtape memories and we'll catch you next time Bye. bye